Good morning, everybody. It is great. I mean, absolutely great to see you. I love you so much and can't wait to, you know, to tackle this place in Scripture because it's all about Paul, and I love him so much. Of course, it's all about our Lord. But uh, Paul just gives this message that is absolutely incredible in my eyes. I've kind of broken it down, and you can do the same if you wanted to, you know, to kind of look into it. It's in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Would you turn with us, please, there? And in the, the 22nd through the 31st verse, Paul gives this message to the people in Athens. And I've kind of thought in my mind, how would he go about doing this? And here's what I've con- conjured up, and, and the way I think it may have, may have happened. He's walking through the city, and he's kind of uh, just just going through and wondering, what can I say to these people? They're so lost. One of their poets wrote that you could, it was more readily to find a god in Athens than to find a man. They had over 700 different uh, altars and uh, different places to worship that were all, of course, man-made. They all made these idols and these things to worship. And so Paul is, I I think, beside himself as he's walking through this community. And all of a sudden, as I would assume it happened, he stops dead in his tracks. And he says, aha, I have the hook. And what he found was an altar to the unknown God. And he said, probably in his mind, I'm going to be able to present to these dear folks the very God whom they are missing with all of these other small g gods all over the place. And so he presents to them, as we mentioned last week in verses 22 and verse 23, that this God that they have an altar to who is unknown, they say he exists. Or Paul says, he exists. He is the one who has made the heavens and the earth and, 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 and gave him the evidence that, that there is this God. So now what he's going to do in verses 24 to verse 29 is he's going to say he not only exists, but here is who he is. This is what has made him special that you might know him. And then as we're going to see next week, he's going to finish up by saying now that you know that he exists and now that you know who he is, he's spoken to you. He has made himself, revealed himself to you through what he has declared. Now, I want to grant you this. We've been over this part of it because the message that Paul is going to give is not going to vary from the message that uh, Peter or Stephen or Philip or any of the other people gave before uh, anyone at that time, and that is, you've got to repent. And that, we'll talk about that next week, and I hope I don't wear it out for us, you know. And then he says, the reason you need to repent is because God has chosen this person, this man, and he's given proof that you and I know who he is because he raised him from the dead. And so he's going to talk about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that next week a little bit. But I want it sufficient to talk about who he is because. In the, in the eye of Paul, as we're going to see through his, through his lens, so to speak, through his thinking with these people, trying to, to speak to them on their level, you need to remember, and I'll mention this again, but he's not speaking to some religious Jews 
who knew of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and knew of the promises of God that, that He would one day come and be the Messiah and, 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 and wipe away their sins and give them life everlasting in the kingdom that was to come, that's foreign to most of these people in Athens. And so Paul is meeting them at their level. And he talks about their poets and what their poets have said. And it, it, it's utterly an, a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful message, of course. Paul is brilliant. You know, on this Independence Day, or uh, the 4th of July, and, and, and all that we have as a, as a, as a people, that all that God has given to us, has been given to us uh, because of the, the greatness of the people in this, the United States of America, uh, our armed uh, uh, men and women. And we had asked um, for anyone that, that would, wouldn't mind for a name of their loved one so that we could print it out so that we might have it, and so that we could specifically pray for every person that uh, is a part of, of your lives and our lives that are either in the military or somewhere that could be prayed for. And we have, as you'll see on this list, people in California as well as in Japan and Idaho and Iraq and, and just all over the world. And so what I wanted to do, actually, no, that... That would sound as if it were my idea. Um, what the staff had encouraged us to do is to pray for them by name. And so I'm going to just mention their first names. And I ask you to, along with me, that we would pray that God would watch over these dear people, care for them, and, um, and uh, bring them home, wherever they may be, safely. If you have someone... And they're not on this list. Um, if you would like to, if you have a computer, by email, just send us the names. We'll put it on a list and we will promise to be praying for them religiously. We will pray for your loved ones. But sufficient, let's do that this time. Let's, before we get into uh, this wonderful place in Scripture in Acts 17, let's, let's pray for uh, the men and women who are part of our our church family uh, uh, who are serving us in this country and giving us the freedom that we so beautifully have this morning. Father, we come before you as a special request for some loved ones. We have some names here, Father. You well know each and every person. There are some here that have those that are not mentioned. And Father, we don't want to exclude a soul. So... Um, we recognize and know very well that you hear every voice here in this room. And so you know the people that we are praying for. Specifically, Lord, for the ones that have been given to us, we pray for Adam and for Ben, for Benjamin, dear Father, for Bill and Brad and David, that you'd watch over all of them. Father, for Derek, for Evan, Father, and James, Jeff, for a man named Joshua, Justin, and three different Marks, Father, Mark, Mark, and Mark, and three different Matts, Matt, Matt, and Matthew, Father, and for Michael and Michael, and Peter and Steve. These people you know well, Father. We bring them before your throne of grace in love. And in asking, dear Father, 
that you would watch over them, that you would wrap your arms of protection about them and care for them. And, and Father, that you might bring them home safely to their loved ones to unite them, Father, again. In this process, Father, would you watch over our, our country and this earth in which we live? There are people that are just, wow, I don't know how to put it, Father, but just terrorism and different things that are done just to, just to, to strike fear into the hearts of people through acts of terror. And may we, Father, uh, always be reminded that our, our strength is in you, our, our care is in you. And so, Father, we ask your blessings upon not only those that we prayed for, but anyone else, dear Father, who is mentioned in the hearts of those that are here, that you might watch over and care for them. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Acts chapter 17. Paul's message to those in Athens. Let me tell you up front what he's trying to do, in my opinion. Well, he's, he's kind of set the stage for it last week. Remember when he said in verses 22 and 23, let's read it again, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Now the Areopagus was a place where they met, where they would have these, these uh, opportunities to speak to one another, and they would invite a speaker to go up on this hill and speak to them on this place called the Areopagus. Seven, eight, nine hundred yards from it was the Acropolis. Uh, it was a beautiful structure. We must know that, that, that Athens was the, was the center of culture. It was the center of, of high learning and high education. It was a, a, a place where they, they built beautiful, beautiful structures and, 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 uh, and different statues. It was, a, it was a beautiful place. And Paul is trying to break through all of that to get to the very essence that that their religion is ill-founded. And he's going to try with all of his heart to break through their religiosity, to try to present to them this God whom they admit openly they don't know, this unknown God. And he wants them to know that he exists, that he is there with them. He, he wants them to know who he is, so that they can fall in love with them. And then, as we said, he's going to tell them what he has told them to do. And so if we look again at verses 22 and 23, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. I've been through your community. I've seen all of these idols that you have. But, as we said last week, the words very religious was a really jab at them. He is saying, I, I sense that you revere evil spirits. And so there's Paul again, putting himself on the firing line. In essence, he is saying, this religion that you have, regardless of what, what it is that you worship, what, regardless of what it looks like, and he's going to make mention of it in, his, in the, the core of his message in a moment, he says, you're revering evil spirits. It's doing you of no good. 
in essence, as we've already said, religion could not save them. No religion can save. Only a relationship with the one true God is what is worthy of salvation. Now that's not our, that's not our idea. That's God. God has set in motion a plan long, long, long ago when He created everything. And He has given us by His own desire the way to have the forgiveness of sins so that we might live with Him forever and ever. And that's God's idea and it is restricted to just one way. That's all. Just through the Messiah. It turns out to be His Son who He gave so that He might live a life and go to a cross and die and, and be resurrected so we know who He is and so we might believe in Him. So Paul is saying, look, I understand. You've got all kinds of religious idols out there, but they're evil spirits. They can't save you. And so he wanted them to know that this God, who he said in verses 22 and 23, exists, and he can be known by all men. And he cannot be confined to just an altar, a, a man-made structure. You can't do that, he is saying. He's greater than this. And this is who he is. Now, as I already said to you, Paul is going to get into their level. He's going to speak to them from... He's going to go back to step one, ground zero. He said he is the creator. Watch. Look. Verse 23 through verse 29. Paul says, while I was passing through and examining the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Listen to what Paul says. What you therefore worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now we, we read those that verse along with verse 22 last week. And Paul says, what you worship in with all of these different idols and gods, small g, that you have out there, what you worship in ignorance, I'm now going to proclaim to you who He is. Verse 24 through 29. He is. Verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, and does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And He made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or, or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and the thought of man. Let's 
close with that right now. But what he is saying is basically, and you can read and you understand, he is saying, look, what you have created, this God or different gods that you are worshiping, and there were myriads of them in the city, he says the real God, the one who exists, can't be formed by human hands. Basically, what they were doing is what everyone wants to do with religion. Religion is kind of more an opportunity for people to form God in their image. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's why we need to study the Bible, word upon word, line upon line. You see, we need to have an understanding of who God is so that we can conform ourselves into Him, His image. And so some churches get away from studying the Bible and start making their own do's and don'ts so that they can form God into the image that they think He ought to be. We can't do that. What was it Hutch always says? He said the other day, David and Ann, you might remember, I keep on messing up. He says, most people believe the Bible because they don't, under, they don't understand what it says. Is that what he, basically what he said? And that's, that's the truth of it. Most people believe what is written within the Word of God because they really haven't taken the time to study it. And it doesn't scare them like it really ought to scare us. The Bible is not given so as to make us comfortable with who we are. The Bible has been written so that we would be uncomfortable with ourselves and allow ourselves to be conformed into His image. And that's what we have been called to be. That's what Paul is saying, basically. Look, you can't, you can't form God into this, this image. That, he can't do that. He, he doesn't allow you to do that. He's, he's greater than that. Because He has given you life. He has given you breath. He has given you what He has given you. And He has even set the time that you are to live and the boundaries that you are to live in. You see, there's not an accident. Not a one of us here is here by accident. We do not live at this time by accident, nor do we live where we live by accident. We are here for a purpose. Now I'll get to that in a moment. So let's pray, now that we've read all this, and let's ask our Lord, Father, please, open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, so that we might behold wonderful things from your written word, so that we might grasp, Father, all that you are, and allow ourselves to be conformed into your most wonderful image, rather than, Father, trying to make you into what we think you are. You ought to be with us. As Paul eloquently said, and then wrote, You are the Lord of heaven and earth. You give to us breath, life, all things. Because you are not merely, dear Father, our Savior. You are our Lord our God. And so, Father, please, by your grace, move me aside. This is way too important, Father, for us to take chances with just human thoughts. May we see what you have to say. May we use the words of your wonderful Apostle Paul that you put into his heart so that we might relay the things that they have been given 
to say to us so that we might say it to the next generation. And in this case, we might say it to our own selves so that we might we might catch the vision of what you want for each of us, Father. May we see you as our Lord as well as our Savior, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we have said, Paul is not speaking now to the religious-minded Jews, those that knew the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No, he is, he is quote-unquote, arguing, if you would, the Scriptures, um, not to a, a Jewish-related crowd, but to some Gentiles who have very limited knowledge of this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what he does is natural. He begins from the beginning. In verse 24, when he gets to the part of who is this God that exists, he says he is, verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it. Namely, he's, he is the one that, that made Athens where they live. All the structures, all that is there. This God allowed this to happen. And He not only made all of this world in which they live, but He made them, us, as well. Now He says, since, and this is really key to His message, since He is Lord, that cut through all of, all of what their other gods would be. Because He now is calling this God that exists and who He is, Lord, over the heavens as well as the earth. And He doesn't dwell in temples that were made by hands. And so, what Paul has done with that statement after he lets them know what you worship in ignorance, let me tell you what it is. He's not a God that you can form. You can't do that. He doesn't live in these structures that you are worshiping. They are but evil spirits, he has told them. No, he is the Lord of all that is in heaven and all that is on this earth. That penetrated right into the hearts of these people. The central body of Paul's message, would you say, is a presentation of God as Creator. The one who has made the world and everything else in it. But, watch this now, Paul is saying that this God is Lord. Lord of all. Therefore, what Paul was saying to them is that He rules over all of us. He rules over us. He is our Lord. If there's one thing I'd like to get today for you and for me, is to stop seeing, no, not stop seeing, but to not solely see Jesus Christ as our Savior, which, thank God, He is. <clears throat> but sometimes we get kind of promiscuous with our lifestyle because we see Him as our Savior and our sins have been wiped away, as separated as far as the East is from the West and He remembers them no more, and we live in that glorious state, and we forget that He is also our, what? Lord. That He has made us for a reason. There's a purpose for you and, and you and you and me 
in this life in which we live. As Paul is going to let them know, and we're going to learn through them, he has created us and has set the time that we are living and the boundaries that we live in because God has a purpose in our lives. Something for us to do. Now, what that is, I don't know. I'm still searching for myself. I, I think I've found where God wants me, but who knows? And I am open. I am ready. Listen, let me, let me hear you, Lord. But in the meantime, I'm going to do what I believe you called me to do because that is the way God is going to reveal himself to me through being active. It's, it's not me going home and sitting on a couch and, and thinking, well, God will reveal it to me. Until he does, I'm, give me some more chips and I'll watch TV. <laughs> We need to get out and move. In fact, if, if, we, if, if we're just running free, I should let Fred tell you about his ministry that God pushed him into. And, but only because he got active doing some things in the inner city. And, and now he's in, in, in Compton and in, in, in 22 cities throughout the country in Compton. And he's bringing the message of God through the police officers and through the, the politicians in that city to the kids and, and the people in their, in their community. It's... it's it's, 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 it's awesome. We'll hear about it sometime, I promise you. But he didn't, didn't find that out just by sitting on a couch. He got active. He was doing things, and God let him and let him and let him and let him and moved him until he's at this niche. And, and that's what it should be for all of us. All of us should be seeing our God as our Lord, which means that he has control over our lives. He's not just our Savior. You and I have not just been saved so we can go, not going to hell. Whoa. No, we've been saved out of hell so that we can serve God here on earth in godly matters. Now, it's interesting to me, and I think it will be to you as well, that Paul quotes Stephen. Now, Hopefully you remember. If you don't, it's okay. Stephen, back in chapter 7, was one of the, the seven that was chosen to do something within the church to kind of bring things in order. And Stephen went out and gave a message, and he ruffled the feathers of everybody. Paul was then Saul still. He wasn't converted yet. And Saul hated Christians, and Saul was watching Stephen and listening to Stephen. They got so angry at Stephen that they rushed him to the edge of town, and they did what to him? They stoned him to death. That impacted Paul's life immeasurably, I believe. So much so that he uses the words that Stephen used to the Jews in Jerusalem here to the uh, the. Uh, uh, th- those in Athens. Watch what it says. If you want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 45, 48 through 50. Please forgive me. Paul uses the words that Stephen said just before he was stoned where Paul was a witness. They were, they were laying their robes with Paul and stoning Stephen to death. Stephen said in in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, The Most High, Stephen said, doesn't dwell in houses made by human hands. That's what Paul is saying, as the prophets say. Heaven is my throne. The earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? In other words, my rest. And then Stephen said, as God would say, was it not... 
My hand, which made all of these things. So Paul, here in chapter 17, I'm sure thinking back of what Stephen said, explained that this Creator doesn't live in these shrines, these wonderful buildings that were built by those in Athens, the the Greeks, not by human beings. He doesn't dwell in a house made by a human Paul was making these Greek people think and realize even the wonders of their city, the spectacular buildings that they had. Just as I said, the Acropolis was just, you know, seven, what, 800 yards away from uh, where Paul was speaking to these people. And he is saying all of these things are, are not needed by God, this God who exists. He doesn't live in structures that were built by men. He doesn't need anything from us, Paul says. Because He is your source, our source. Look, he says in verse 24, it it bears repeating in verse 25, God who made the world and all things in it, He is our Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. He says in verse 25, He is not served by human hands as though He is needed anything since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, Paul is making it clear to these people that this God who exists and who He is is the very giver of their lives. And he makes it clear that He doesn't dwell in one place. Now, you can turn to it, but really you don't have to. First Kings, look at it later if you want to. Chapter 8, verse 27 Solomon, when he dedicated the temple that he built unto the Lord, made this prayer. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? He's asking a rhetorical question. The answer, of course, is no. He says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him. How much less this house which I have built. I mean, Solomon recognized the Old Testament spoke that God is not confined into one place, but... Paul isn't quoting them out of the Old Testament. He is, he is talking to them, meeting them at their place. There's a great hymn of praise in, in the book of Revelation, the fourth chapter, the eleventh verse, where, where everyone yells out, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, talking of Jesus, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things because of your will. They existed and were created. So Paul wishes to attack the problem that has forever plagued mankind. And you might ask, what is it? The problem that has forever plagued mankind and does to this day is the rejection that God is the creator of all things or that you can narrow it down to one God. I mean, how many of us have heard, you Christians, you are so narrow-minded. You mean to say in this great big world in which we live, there aren't many, many different types of ways to God? And and they confirm in their hearts that yes, there are many different ways to God, but they can't confirm that through the Word of God because the Bible says there is no other way. And so Paul is trying to address that problem way back then. And the reason, by the way, that this truth, that there is but one God, is rejected is because sinful men and women are uncomfortable with the thought that we would be accountable to one God. 
one God who has created us and hence, therefore, owns our very soul. Owns the destiny to where we would go. And people are uncomfortable with that because they want to make God into their image where they can do what they well choose to do and still feel good about themselves so that they can one day, if they believe in heaven or if they believe in hell, go to heaven and not go to hell. And so they conform God into their image. And Paul is addressing these people in Athens and saying, you can't do that. He is, verse 24, look at it again, He is the God who has made this world in which you live and all things in it because He is Lord of heaven and earth. Therefore, He does own you. Paul allows them to know that God not only owns us, made us, but, verse 26, watch, this is what I said earlier, He made from one man, that's talking about Adam, Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of this earth. From one man, he has inhabited this earth in which we live. And he, look at the middle of verse 26, determined our appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And so as I say to you, if I haven't already in this service, you and I are not an accident. God knew that we would be here at this time in this place for a purpose. The purpose? Don't know. You have to find that out for yourself. You have to seek what is it that God wants to do with your life. And you have to come to the realization that He wants to do something with your life and my life because He's not simply our Savior. He is our Lord. And He has commanded that we live at this time in this place to do whatever it is that He's called us to do. I don't know what it is. I don't. But He wants you and me to be conformed into His image. I tell you, it works a little bit. I, use, I, I can't believe I told this story in the first service. I did, but I'm going to do it now. I'll tell you how I think I'm growing. I'm growing in the Lord. Yeah, watch. My bugaboo in life is I hate... I, tra- I'm like, I, I change when I get in a car. I become... <laughs> like, everybody, off the roads. I want to go where I'm going, and then you can come back on. Just move. So I'm driving the other day, and I'm minding my own business, and some guy in a pickup truck just, boom, right in front of me. And I go, oh, yeah? And I'm going to find, I want to see what this person looks like, at least, you know. I want to give him that look. What are you doing driving me off the road? This is my road. And as I'm going after him, I'm literally going after him to try to pull alongside. I want to take a look at this person while I'm on my way. Something happens to my heart saying they might have a, their loved one maybe is sick. They're in a hurry maybe. Maybe he just got news that his wife or she just got news that her husband is really not doing well. Or maybe one of their kids. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I slow down and pray for them. I can't believe <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm becoming like my Lord. I'm praying for them. I'm literally praying for them instead of chasing them down and being angry. And the Lord took the anger away from me for this person. Everything went. 
I'm becoming like the Lord in a way, you know. I know it's small, it might be small to you, but me, it was a big deal. And I think that's what God wants from us. And it's not these big, enormous things that He wants from us to do. Now, granted, it might be we'd be like Fred and, and do something that's off the chart. But it might not be. It might be just that we have this spirit of kindness that overflows in our hearts as we become conformed into the image of our Lord. And so Paul is, is saying, look, out of every nation, out of one person, Adam, he has created everyone to live on the face of this earth and he determined the times that you and I are to live and he's determined where we're to live. Because, and Paul doesn't add this, but I feel confident to be able to say that, because he's got something special for you that needs to be done at this time, at this place, at this hour. And what that is, you're going to have to seek that out yourself. But I, I ask of you, I beg of you, Allow Him to be not just your Savior. Allow Him to be your Lord that He might guide your life to do what He has called you to do. Now this statement, what Paul said concerning everybody had a time, everybody had a boundary, everybody had a place, was a blow to the national pride of the Greeks. But not just the Greeks, let's face it folks, to almost all of us. Certainly to the Jews. You see, the Greeks referred to all non-Greeks as barbarians. The Jews referred to all non-Jews as dogs. And those of us of different background and, 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 and different upbringing, we, we feel that, that we're more special than anyone else, any race of people, any creed of people. Good God, no way. No way. God has created each and every one of us and made each and every one of us very special in His own image. And he loves every person on this, on this earth regardless of their race, regardless of their, their color, regardless of their background, regardless of their economic structure. We're all equal in God's eyes. And so Paul is saying that all men are equal before God because we are all been created by Him. And we live when we live, where we live, and all of that because He has set this for us. So therefore, Paul is saying, since He determines our appointed times, the rise and fall of all people are in His hands. Consequently, catch this now, this is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Look at verses 27, 28, 29. Since He is our Creator, we know now He exists, at least Paul gave them reason to believe that He exists, since He says He is your Creator, since He is your Lord or ruler over you, since He is the giver of your life, your breath, everything that you do, He is the sole controller of all that we are. Paul reasons in verse 27, we should be moved, and this is where He is brilliant, to seek after Him. Find Him. Verse 27, that they would seek God, seek Him, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, because He's not far from each one of us. Look, since God exists, and Paul made that evident, verses 22 and 3, and since now we know who He is, the Creator of all things, the Lord of heaven as well as earth, then we ought to seek after Him, as verse 27 says, so that we may, by the grace of God, find Him. This is... This is the most amazing preaching and teaching 
you and I will ever read within Scripture that this unknown God exists and we now know who He is and He is not far from us. You see, the Greeks certainly could not argue with this. Paul now meets them at their level. Doesn't tell them out of this, although he is telling them everything out of this. They just don't know it. He now talks about their poets. Look at verse 20, the end of verse 27 and verse 28. The end of verse 27 says, He is not far from each one of us. That is historically written by a Cretan pro, a poet by the name of Epimenides. 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 Got it. Didn't the last, no, I did it the first, didn't yesterday. Saturday was, couldn't get it out of my mouth at all. Epimenides wrote, In him we live and we move and we exist. And then Paul quotes another of the Greek poets that was well known to them, who was from his area of Cilicia called uh, Aratus, who says, We are also his offspring. So Paul could have documented what he said by the word of God, but he chose instead to use illustrations that were familiar to these dear people because they were unfamiliar with this. He reached them in their place of comfort. They were familiar with their own poets. Now watch. Since they were familiar and they should seek after Him, though they might find Him because He's not far from them, Paul says in verse 29, Since man is the offspring of God, written by your own poets, then it would be foolish, verse 29, to think that the divine nature would be like gold or silver or stone or an image that is formed by the art and the thought of man. In other words, he is saying all of this stuff that you have in your community, all of these idols that you worship, whether they be uh, made out of stone or wood or silver or gold or, or someone drew it, an artist's rendition or some thought of some person, it's not God. That's not God. That's an evil spirit, he is saying. You see, if God created them, then he must be more than any man-made idol that they could create. By the way, that's why Jesus Christ came, so that you and I could see what God really is like, could see him in human flesh. So using quotes from their own poets to show the absurdity of their idolatry of any and all of their gods, he uses the words in verse 27-28, search for him, uh, grope for him, find him. He's not far in him. We're his. Those words would lead someone who is looking for this God towards him so that they truly might find him. He's not far from them. You see, in all of this, Paul was exposing three very distinctive characteristics of that culture of that day. Number one, they believed that God was unknowable. That's why they, they wrote to this unknown God. They didn't believe that the God could be knowable, so they made gods in their own image. Secondly, they believed they believe that, that therefore God, when they made these images, came to live within them, made by them. And then Paul 
beat down the fact that they, they believed that God was not involved in their affairs. God just kind of put them on this earth, wound them up, and set them free to live like they wanted to live. And Paul beats that down. He says, no, no, who he is is your Lord. He doesn't exist in those temples that you uh, are worshiping in your community. He's not far from you. If you look for him, you'll find him, he says. And so next week, Paul is going to say, so listen, here's what he said to you. Oh, man, it's brilliant. Here's what he said. And as I've already said to you, the message doesn't vary. He said, repent. Repent. And the reason you need to repent is because He has appointed a time to judge you. And He has already appointed a man, and He's given you proof to know who this person is that's going to judge you by raising Him from the dead. And in the last three verses of this chapter, verses uh, 32, 3, and 4, are the normal reactions of most people when they hear truth. Or hear something that is that earth-shattering. And I would imagine in this audience here, there are all three. Some of you who've been dragged here by a, you know, if she brings me here one more week, I'm going to explode. This guy that's going bald with a big nose, he's killing me. He's, he's killing me. He's, he's, what's the word they use there? He's, uh, what's the word? No, no, they wouldn't think that. They would think, yeah, they sneer. That's what you said. I thought you said sincere. (laughs) They sneer. Yeah, they just scoff at what has been said. I mean, telling us there's one God, telling us there's God, they sneer at it. They think we're fools. And there are some here right now, I would venture a guess and say, you know, you're starting to to get close. I want to hear a little more. Give me more proof. I want a little more proof before I give my heart to this God you talk about. And I'm here to tell you, you have as much proof as you'll ever need right now, right now. And then there are others that it says, just believe. We have a choice, those of us that know the Lord. We have a choice to make Him our Lord. Not just our Savior, our Lord. And to live for Him. Because He has put us here at this time, at this place, for a specific reason. And what that reason is, I don't know. I'm not sure any of us really know. It's just that we try to seek Him and and allow Him to be our Lord. That's my beg for you today. My beg for you is that you would live this day honoring Him, seeking after Him. Find out what He wants to do with your life. Allowing Him to use you. Because each and every one of you here today is special. There is someone that you'll reach that Billy Graham could have never reached. And the reason is because God made you to reach that person or those people. Fred, what you're doing, God bless you. There's not a lot of us could do that. But God knew you could. Father, would you please bless us as we go from here? And Father, may we collectively, I, I hope and think would just thank you for who you are of course but you know sending a man like Paul who is so courageous father he, 
he stood in front of these people knowing that they might they might want to take his life for what he is saying to them and and yet he did not compromise anything he really nails nails them and in, in so doing father he nails all of us with your wonderful and most precious truth may we be a church father a people that allow you to conform us into your image and may we never be a place that tries to conform you into our image it's not the way it's to be may we see you as the lord of heaven as well as this earth the giver of our lives the breath that we take all things that we have all things that we are may we just love you father we pray in jesus most precious name amen thanks i love you guys more than i can tell you have a great day see you next week